Praise God. I, I, my heart's prepared. I trust your heart is too. Uh, let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. If you're a guest in need of scriptures and you don't have that on your device, um, the scriptures on your device, our ushers will be glad to um, give you a Bible to follow along this morning. If you keep your hands lifted up, the ushers will find you if you need a Bible to follow along. And um, To start the new year, we've been discuss, discussing together from Ephesians 4 what is spiritual togetherness, what does it mean to enjoy being together, uh, togetherness that's produced by God himself. How do we maintenance that? How do we enjoy it? And how do we not just maintenance and enjoy it, but how do we use it under the intended purposes that God has brought us all together anyway? And remember we said last week that you really can't enjoy uh, spiritual togetherness unless you're enjoying its ultimate purpose. Are you with me? Amen. You really can't enjoy spiritual togetherness unless we are together enjoying unity's ultimate purpose of its existence. We looked at that last week in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. And you can go there and study that on your own, if you will. But let's just rehearse a little bit by rereading these verses in Ephesians 4. And then we'll pick up where we left off last week. And then uh, preach through a few of these things on our way to our baptism testimony uh, this morning. Therefore, verse 1 of chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a worthy manner of your calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit, powerful prepositional phrase where we'll pick up there this morning, in the bond of peace. Verse 4 says, There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who was over all and through all and in all. Thank you, Lord, for this portion of Scripture, which begins the practical section of Paul's book written to the Ephesians. Help us, Lord, to apply it to our lives as they years ago applied it to their own. And help us, Lord, to take the spiritual oneness that you've given us here and utilize it unto eternal purposes. Help us to maintenance unto it unto eternal purposes until the Lord Jesus comes. In his precious name we pray. Amen. So, for those of you who are newer to grace, uh, Paul often writes in his letters a doctrinal portion um, in the first half of his letter and a practical portion in the second. He does the same thing here in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 describe our great salvation and oneness with Christ brought about in eternity past. 
chapters 4 through 6 outlines for us maturity necessary to pursue godly character in every aspect of our lives but we we do all of this together in a unity produced by the spirit of god as we discussed last week so chapter 4 verses 1 through 16 really defines the nature of that unity for us the foundation of that unity is spiritual maturity and the mindset that 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 any genuine born-again believer always understands that they have not arrived at the final level of maturity yet, but together we're always working towards that. Christ-likeness. And all of us certainly must remain in the seat of the learner as we apply these scriptures together. Remember what we said, that sin divides and grace unites. In the body of Christ, if we ever feel one another pulling apart from one another, that's something that needs to be addressed sooner than later needs to be discussed satan would have us pull apart rather than remain together and that's why we're told here to maintenance that what god has put together kind of reminds me what we often say in weddings what what god has put together let no man put asunder and i don't know that that's necessarily um not to be applied even to the body of Christ as it's applied to marriage. We don't often do that, but the body is the bride of Christ, is she not? He is the head and the chief cornerstone of the church, and when he unites us to that body, and he does so even on a local level, what God has put together, let no man put asunder. But nonetheless, we move on here. Having seen the plea and the purity of the Christian walk in our text, the practical side of the Christian life, uh, today we're going to come to a better understanding of uh, the doctrinal makeup, if you will, the nature, the doctrinal makeup of our unity. Recall the word back in the early part of this chapter. We've already reread this morning. Uh, go back with me to verse 1. It says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, to walk in a manner, see that word worthy there? That's a powerful word. We've looked at it before. But it just simply means to bring a balance. To bring a balance. What's Paul, why would Paul utilize that word here? A balance between what? Well, this word is used early in the practical section of his book, which follows the doctrinal section of his letter. And what Paul is saying here is we really um, have no unity or spiritual togetherness that's enjoyed unless it's based on doctrine. So we only have a worthy walk, he's saying, if we can take all that we know doctrinally about Christ and what we have in him, who we are in him, individually and collectively, if we can't take that and apply that to the way we function as a church family, we're imbalanced. So a walk that's a balanced walk is able to live out together all that we doctrinally know about our salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. In sincere demonstration of his belief in Christian balance, Paul addresses both what that doctrine is and, and how to live it. 
Yes, verses 1 through 16 of chapter 4 speaks to unity. Maturing Christians are unified Christians. Maturing Christians walk well, a balanced walk. They pursue character worthy of their calling. They pursue purity worthy of their calling. They pursue an understanding of the profound source of their calling in unity. So without any grammatical connection here, really outside this word that calls us to a balance of living doctrine, Paul flows freely and easily into his doctrinal explanation that describes really what the truths are that support the whole of spiritual oneness. We read these this morning, again, in verses 4 through 6. And there are seven ones, if you will, that we're going to walk through the next couple of times we're together. Seven different ones. Now, I'm not big on numerology and scripture unless the context calls for it. I really believe this could be, and, and for me certainly is, a place to notice that there are seven here things that are described as one to let us understand that there is a level of maturity or completeness here, especially understanding now that we know what the word worthy is, that we've been reminded of that. How do we bring a balance of knowing doctrine and living doctrine? Well, we've got to know the completeness of the purpose of these seven ones and why they're used here. Before we get into these seven ones, we left off last week with this prepositional phrase left relatively undiscussed in verse number three, that second main participle, if you've been with us through this little mini-series, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then the ones, the list of seven ones begins in verse 4. And we talked a little bit about this bond, this unity that's produced in the Spirit. But we have to remember that this, this bond is in its nature one of peace. One of peace. Uh, go with me, if you would, to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And... Let's look here what John the Gospel writer has to say about the peace that the Holy Spirit brings. For a little context, we'll begin at verse number 25. John says in chapter 14, fourth gospel, 14th verse, 25th verse. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring your remembrance, to your remembrance, all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Don't let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. 
Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but so that the world may know that I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father commanded me, so get up and let us go from here. He's reminding them again of his imminent departure from them, but he says there's going to be a helper who's coming. The peace that you've known in me, Jesus is saying here, is the peace that you will continue to know in our divine advocate, the Holy Spirit of God, who will indwell you. The Lord Jesus Christ is never intended to leave his people without the reality of peace in their life. Now, when we understand this reality of peace, we have to understand, first of all, that there's got to be a positional reality about this peace before peace truly can be practically enjoyed. The Bible says that we have been brought to peace in Christ Jesus. Our peace has been made with God when we turned our life over to Jesus Christ. So all that simply means is, yes, you have the righteousness of Christ the moment you're born again. Yes, you have the perfection of God, the holiness of God in your position. But Jesus tells us that that which he would send in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, now that we understand he's produced in us this unity, right, this peace, this bond that we have that is a bond of peace is found having been baptized by the Spirit into Jesus Christ. There is a positional peace here where we are forever okay with God because we own Christ as our Lord and Savior. So it's positional peace. So I am no longer at war with God because my sins have been cared for in Jesus Christ. I no longer box with God and he no longer boxes with me. I'm no longer a, a child of wrath as Paul would describe those who are outside of Christ in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm a child of God. I'm at peace with him. I'm at peace with him in Jesus Christ. And this is a peace that's been brought to us when the Spirit of God baptized us into His family and the Spirit of God indwells us. I can say that the Spirit of God is the peace of Jesus Christ. He indwells us and we are one with Him. So since God the Father is at peace with His Spirit, His Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit indwells me, then I am forever at peace with my God. Now what does that look like practically? Paul writes in Philippians 4, if you'll go there with me real quickly. Philippians chapter 4. Peace is not just our positional reality, it becomes the practical reality of our lives too. Remember, we're maintenancing this togetherness that the Spirit of God has given to us. It's sourced in Him. This is a, a bond of peace. It's a reality of peace. 
positionally and practically, how, would, how do we maintenance even that? Well, verse 6 is clear. Right? In Philippians chapter 4, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace that's sourced in God, now we know sourced in his spirit, Jesus said, I leave you my peace. I'm leaving, but the Spirit of God's coming. He is my peace. Which surpasses all human comprehension will garrison or guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the anxious moments of life we're able to, through prayer, request, Maintenancing thankful hearts, bearing our hearts before God because we have that positional peace. We're okay with God in Christ by the Spirit of God's renewal of our hearts at salvation because we know we're always okay with God in Christ. We can certainly then bring all to Him and then experience practically in our lives that which we know positionally. Peace that surpasses all human comprehension a peace that i leave with you that's not of man it's of me so there's really a guarantee here that even daily we can live at peace that is sourced outside of ourselves in very practical ways and because we're Broken people, saved by grace. There's some activity that needs to happen daily in order for us to enjoy the reality of that peace. And it's outlined there in the verbs of verses 6 and 7 of Philippians 4. And these are, these are imperatives, right? In order to enjoy this positional reality that I have in a very practical way, I have to daily be anxious for not even one thing. I have to choose... To trust I have to choose to entrust my soul to a faithful creator while I continue to do good things I have to choose to pray and to supplicate and to bring my requests to the God of peace and I have to choose to be thankful when we practice maintenancing unity in this very personal way and we understand then what peace is, then we bring back to the body the peace of God practically, which we all know positionally, and that's part and parcel of maintenancing this unity that's not sourced in us, but sourced in the Spirit of God. Anxious hearts must be self-settled. Are you with me? Anxious hearts must be self-settled. That's what's happening here. You be anxious for nothing. You pray, you supplicate, you discipline your hearts to be thankful. That's something you develop in your own intimate time with God. In a fast and furious, busy world, carving out time in our daily schedules to be quiet and to be intimate with God is becoming increasingly rare. But what Paul's saying here 
is how do we practically live out that which Jesus promised in John 14 and verse 27. I positionally leave a peace with you. There's been something done for you subjectively you could not do for yourself. You are at peace with God in Jesus Christ. Now, that's never going to change. Now, you control what you control. How do you enjoy the reality of that position in Christ on a daily basis? This is what we do. This is what we do. And we bring that individually to the body that we enjoy together here. We bring that protection. We enjoy this peace which surpasses all human comprehension individually, and then we bring it collectively to the family that we enjoy here at Grace. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Some other texts that we can look at, uh, but time would not allow us to do that this morning in relationship to our positional peace and enjoying practical peace. The text goes on to say in verse number 4 that there is one body and one spirit and then there's five other ones listed in addition to those two, but let's begin there. As to a further doctrinal understanding of this togetherness that's been granted to us by the Spirit of God that we've been called to maintenance. One body. One body. Romans chapter 12 and verse 5. Paul says, So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. He goes on to write in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of, of one bread. He says earlier in the book that we're studying that God has put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him, Christ, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we want to notice the reality of why Paul mentions the body first. Of these seven ones, why does he mention that we are all part of one body first? And we emphasize here that even when Paul writes to the Roman believers or to the Ephesian believers, he's writing to them having not even been there when he's writing. So we understand here that there is a body of believers that exists in the world, generally speaking. Those are all who are in Christ Jesus. But Paul writes to these bodies locally and with the emphasis on their unity in their geography certainly we would all desire for every believer on the globe to enjoy unity of pur purpose but paul has given to us here god has given to us in each one of these individual letters written to these individual churches an emphasis on the local body of christ and this is a unity that we are to enjoy unto its intended purposes in our body right here in Mentor. And there's several things here that the attention drawn to a singular body among God's global body is to teach us. First of all, 
Within the book of Ephesians, this teaches us the impartiality of God. If you go back into chapter 2, it's very, very clear that God has taken people from various backgrounds, religiously, socioeconomically, uh, in relationship to geography, and he's put us together in Jesus Christ. He's put us together in Jesus Christ. That was done impartially so. God is not partial to Americans. He's not partial to Europeans. He's not partial to Asians. God is impartial when it comes to the offer of salvation of Jesus Christ. That's why there are multiple nations gathered here this morning. Multiple national backgrounds. That's why there's multiple socioeconomic backgrounds gathered here. Educational backgrounds gathered here. Because when we all gather together, we're really no more Asians, Americans, Europeans, graduate students, PhD students, high schoolers, grade schoolers, businessmen, civil engineers. What are we? We're Christian. We're Christian. God has given to us one body. And that body is comprised of people who are in Jesus Christ. And he matters. He matters. And he's brought us together in a unity of togetherness that's been sourced in God the the Spirit. And we enjoy that unity in Christ, sourced in the Spirit of God. And it's to be maintenanced because it's bigger than all of us. And its intention is bigger than all of us. I don't know how often you sit among one another on a Lord's Day or whenever we gather together and just take in row by row, seat by seat what God's put together here. We're always in a hurry, I get that. But I think part of good heart preparation for worship would have us pump the brakes before we get here and then while we're here to just look around and enjoy what God has put together here. Just a mere visual of looking around this morning, you can begin to process all the various miraculous ways that God put us together. And what God put together, let no man put us under. We are one. But we're not one because of you or me. We're one because of him. So since we are one in Christ, we are Christians, so we're about a Christian mission together as one. I don't desire to be overly redundant with this fact, but the impartiality of God is, is to be seen and to be honored, to be revered, and then as best as we possibly can, lived out by each one of us. When I come in here as your pastor, I'm no longer a third-generation Christian or third-generation evangelical. I'm no longer the son of a pastor. I'm no longer the kid who grew up in this church who happened to become the pastor of this church. 
I'm no longer that guy. You say, how do you divorce that from who you are? That's who you are. That's your history. But when we come together here, the individuality really doesn't disappear, but it's swallowed up of the unity. And I'm just Tim Potter who's in Jesus Christ. Because if, if I don't have your background and, and you don't have my background, then we get to evaluate each other based on our backgrounds and our diversity. But no, there's a unity within the diversity that's higher. And it's based in who we are in Jesus Christ. You're no longer a former person of religion. You're no longer this. You're no longer that. You are a Christian in Christ. And you have been placed in a body in a local area for, a, for an eternal purpose. We do everything we can, right? To personally maintenance that so that when we get together, we can enjoy so I, I just encourage you, evaluate each other consistently by who you are in Christ and not by your backgrounds. Not by what you bring to the table, but by who we are in Jesus Christ. Because if you look around long enough and you evaluate partially, not impartially, I'm sure you'll find reasons why unity should not exist here. But look to the source of unity, look to the reality of us being placed into that unity, and let's maintenance that spiritual togetherness because we are in Christ. That's our label, and may I say this, that is my only label when I'm with you. When you first reference me as Bob Potter's son, I respect that because I honor my dad. But there's a little bit of fear struck in my heart at the same time. Remember what I said last week? I might be biologically here because of my parents, but I am not in this place existing unto eternal purpose because of my parents. Someone bigger than them caused all this. <laughs> and since he put it together, let no man put it asunder. I can remember when I became pastor here, and it was very, very hard even for my mom, and a number of you know that. If you're a guest here this morning, so now you know. So it's, it's, out, of, it's, out, of, it's out of the bag, right? My dad was the former pastor here for 34 years, and I grew up here. But I can remember when I became the pastor here, I would always refer to my mom as Mrs. Potter. And I would always refer to my dad as Pastor Potter. There was quite a few post-service tearful moments where my mom would say, can't you just address me publicly as your mom? Is that not what I am? You know, and I'd hug her, and I would help dry her tears. And I would say, when we leave the property, your mom... But when you're here, you're St. Judy. I know that's hard for you to understand, Mom. But if I begin to play partial cards like that, guess who else gets to do that? And that if Mom upsets me, 
then I get to leave because of mom. But mom, you didn't put yourself here. I didn't put myself here. This togetherness is sourced in someone that's divine. He gets to call the shots. I don't get to do that anymore. So St. Bob, St. Judy, St. Kent, right? St. Rhonda, St. Sabo, right? You're all saints long before you bring a last name here anymore. Sound odd, I know, sounds really peculiar, but that's exactly what the text is saying. We're one body defined and began by somebody else. And so it needs to be maintenanced according to his guidelines. Okay, so there's impartiality. And so now our character is defined not by our parents, but by the Spirit of God's character. In the Spirit of God, we have been made a new humanity, a new family that has a new future and a new purpose. None of that was sourced in anything that's biological. All of that has been sourced in him who is supernatural. He's designed it all. And when did he do it? Chapter 1, in eternity past. And we're in that now reality of that eternal plan. And it's glorious, isn't it? It's glorious. We're a spiritual body before we are a visible body. And we have all been made one in Christ, and we have a spiritual transformation by God's miraculous power and through His grace, through the shed blood of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are one body. All brought about by one Spirit, which is a second one of seven. One Spirit, which we'll begin to investigate the next time we're together. All right, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for more reminders this morning of the divine origin of our togetherness, the unique design of this body by the Spirit of God. We thank you, Lord, by regeneration of the Spirit that we do have and enjoy a new humanity here, a new family with a new future and a new purpose all by what the Lord Jesus Christ has done to save us, all by what the Holy Spirit has done to regenerate us from taking us from spiritual death to spiritual life, and then placing us here all together as one family for a new purpose. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has not enjoyed the Lord Jesus Christ in a, in, a, in a saving way, in a very personal way. I pray that they would at least see a difference here of, of a body that's put, put together by the Spirit of God for gospel purposes, for Christ's purposes, that, that they would notice something different about this new family in Christ, this the spiritual togetherness in Christ, that they would notice the way that it, that it loves itself and each other, 
that it's a higher divine love than the love that we see out in the world. That there's a joy here that's explicitly and clearly different than the happiness that the world enjoys. Lord, that there's a peace here that can only come from God. And it's not sourced in us, but it's in Jesus. And so therefore, able to be found in those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that anyone that doesn't know Jesus would see the realities of what being in Jesus is like. And they would say, I'd like to know him too. Thank you, Lord, that that was the reality of the young man who we're about to hear from in his testimony. And I pray for everyone here that is, again, without Jesus, that they would know him. They would know in time, maybe today, of what it means to be placed by the Spirit of God into one body that is full of Christians. for eternal purpose. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.